Greetings friends, this is Will Nicholas, your Odd Rev, bringing you the second season of the Deep Faith Nine podcast. Greetings, friends. This is episode two of season two, uh, Invasive Procedures. And uh, in this episode, a plasma storm is approaching the station uh, and almost all the personnel have been evacuated. Only a skeleton crew remains. And suddenly there is a distress call from a cargo ship that comes in and Cisco decides to respond. Tractor beam pulls it in. There is no cargo. Two Klingons, a Trill and a female Kefkin overpower Odo and O'Brien and the rest of the crew and the Trill Varad um, is unjoined. We'll find out a bit more about that later on. He seems very frustrated about that uh, and he thinks his life is mediocre and wants the Dax symbiont. Bashir is forced to perform the operation which will mean that Dax's life will end soon. This uh, episode um, has got a whole range of really interesting things for us to look through and to help me do that today I'm joined by Paul Charlson. Um, Paul it's great to have you on the show. Thank you it's great to be here. Now I've known Paul for a very long time we um, we served together in Tasmania many many years ago um, before uh, I was married and before I went into ministry so uh, really exciting excited to have Paul on the show here today. Uh, Paul I've got a couple of icebreaker questions I ask everybody. That's cool. Uh, so uh, the first one is, um, when did you first start watching DS9? That's a difficult question to answer. I, I would think that I first, I've, I've, I'll confess I've not been a regular watcher of it as a series. When it was first aired on TV, because I'm old, um, I would have watched some episodes of that series in the first time it was aired. I had, as a young person, watched the original series of star trek as it was aired in australia um i'd also had watched at different times both next generation and voyager uh, probably never a real diligent watcher of any of the series but um you know wondered oh that's on i'll watch that um ds9 is probably the one i've watched the least of out of those um early Star Treks. I've watched some of the more recent iterations such as Picard and Discovery and the reboots of the Star Trek movies pretty much right through, but those more original Star Treks was more sort of dipping in here and there. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's great. Um, and um, then out of those then, um, would you have a favourite character in Star Trek? I, I kind of liked Wesley, um, when the original Star Trek was um, Next Generation was around. Um, but I, I don't know if I would say that there's any individual character I've ever strongly um, associated with um, maybe going into that original Star Trek series and then the reboot movies, um, good old Scotty. Uh, yeah, yeah. She, she will not hold. I'm giving it all she, I can. 
That's no, interesting. Interesting because um, Will Wheaton, who played Wesley Crusher, he uh, he's probably the most famous for uh, having been given a hard time for his role in Star Trek. But I've always um, felt a, a strong aff- affinity for Wesley Crusher, probably because yeah. when I was watching Star Trek Next Generation for the first time, I was about the same age. Um, and I'm loving what Will Wheaton's doing today. Uh, I've seen him in a number of different uh, series, um, action and sci-fi series, um, as well as his work with Geek and Sundry reviewing uh, board games. So it's uh, uh, yeah. Will Wheaton, if you're out there, we'd love to have you on the show. That'd be great. He's probably the man who has made his career on the basis of, I am the person who played Wesley Crusher. That's right, um, yep. I mostly remember him from his appearances in the Big Bang Theory. Yes, yeah, he um, but, he was uh, there quite a bit. Um, became quite a regular actually in Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Um. So we're um we're going to launch straight into it uh, today. Um. So invasive procedures. Paul, what um leaps out from you to you from this yeah. episode where we've got uh, got this uh this interesting cosmic storm um and a and a, and the most bizarre kidnapping I've I think I've seen in any kind of series. And it's an interesting episode when I watched it. I should have pointed out that I do love sci-fi generally, and I'm a huge fan of, say, series like the original Joss Whedon's um, Firefly and then The Expanse. So I'm quite familiar with various forms of that space-based science fiction, um, which is probably where my preferences for science fiction rest anyway. But this is a really interesting kind of occurrence because the, the kidnapping is based around the character of Varad and his feelings of um, that he has not received what he deserved, which is to be joined to a symbiont. And I think that it's within that, that there's a number of really profound issues that play in this. This is something I like about science fiction, that you get to play with life issues by creating a kind of alternate reality. And, and so you can separate us from the the storyline, but still actually raise questions that are relevant to us. Mm. And Varad has this sense of he deserves to have a symbiote. He deserves to be joined. And he's willing to do anything to achieve that, um, no matter what the cost may be to others. And he has these sort of delusional ideals that once this happens, he'll become this person who will do great things in a different quadrant. Um, But I think the reality is he just wants that, joining to it for himself um it's interesting that the 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 trill um um were first raised in an episode called the host uh in season four of next generation uh where we meet uh, a male trill there and we get to hear the story of these joined symbiotes who live multiple lives um and and on the trill homeworld only a very small percentage of um of the population are, are deemed worthy of receiving a symbiont. So so Varad's definitely got that sense of being left left out. Um he's he's obviously aspired to be one of those who's joined and uh he has missed out uh, for whatever reason. Well I guess we start to see the reasons as the episode um as goes forward. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, that that concept that it's only a small number that that actually um, are chosen is raised in the the episode. You know, Jacia mentions that her mother, her sisters, none of them were joined. She is the one person in her family, and and she says they still have full and, and active and worthy lives. Yep. You know, being joined in itself doesn't make a judgment of your worth as a human, as a trill in this case, but as a person. 
Um, it just actually recognises that you are able to, to be participating in this particular kind of relationship. And as Jadzia, that's the contrast to Varad, you know, um, in the sense that whereas Varad is grasping and, and willing to do damage to others in, in the seeking for himself and what he believes is his right, what he deserves, and there's this conversation when he first um, occupies the command deck where, where he makes comments about, this is what I deserve. Yep. I, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life dreaming about what I could have been, what I should have been. I deserve more. And Jatsia, in contrast, in recognizing that the lives of her fellow crew members are in danger. I don't want anyone else hurt because of me. But you have to give me your word that no one else on this station will be harmed. Says, I will let go of this. I will surrender this. And, and you know, from, I suppose, a, a faith perspective, I see a, a correlation to when Jesus said, you know, like, there are those who will try to claim their life, to grasp onto their life, and they will lose it. Yeah. Whereas any is willing to to lose their life for my sake and for the gospel, they'll find it. And and you see this in Varad and Jadzia, in one wanting to grasp onto something, whereas the other is willing to surrender, to lay down her life for her friends. Yeah, um, yeah. Because her friends are yeah. under threat here. If if she doesn't yeah. um, comply, then they've already proved. I think poor Miles O'Brien gets gets shot to prove um, Varad's um, intent. So yeah, that's right. Um, spoiler alert: he doesn't die. Yeah, that's right. Well, we know he doesn't die. He 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 stays in it all the way through to the end. So he's a. Uh, but uh, definitely, uh, we, we've we've talked about spoilers a couple of times in um, the podcast, um, and we've kind of come to the conclusion that if you uh, haven't watched something that aired in 1994, that uh, the sunset clause on spoilers is over. So this is true. Um, this is true. However, the big meta game, meta um, meta story spoilers, we be careful because the trill actually continue throughout this, and there are lots and lots of really interesting episodes about the trill and the joined species. I just looked up actually the fraction that can be joined is 0.01%. So there's a bit of trivia out there for um for our for those who are into the trill. Yeah. And look what Varad is expressing is an interesting kind of idea um that there is that unwillingness to accept the reality there is this kind of sense of you know what you believe is your right. Mm. And um the damage that you can do through seeking to achieve that. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, um, there is a, a little bit of that in all of us. There's probably a little bit of both Farad and Jatsia in all of us and in our willingness to sometimes we think, this is this is really what um, I, I deserve. This is what I, I'm capable of. And, yeah, we can sometimes be a little bit self-delusional about that and we kind of have to be that ability to reflect upon ourselves and to recognize reality uh, equally we can be capable of those times of great um sacrifice that we see represented in Jadzia's willingness to submit to surrendering the the drax symbiont um in that case uh 
and yeah. and so, as I said, for us, there is that that calling to be um, willing to be the follow the track of Jadzia rather than Varad, because the difference in this um, storytelling is, of course, is that there is. While I say there's a little bit of that in both of, both of those, in all of us, in Varad and Jadzia are presented in this episode pretty much as polar opposites, um, and and that. Is for the storytelling, you know, progression, but yeah. that is very clearly Varad remains unable to be self-reflective and unable to consider broader consequences of their actions. They're just completely self-obsessed and willing to go forward to that. And that leads me to one of the other themes that I had pondered about, um, which r- relates to the um, woman who is his companion. Um, and her love and loyalty to him, um, which in the end he's willing to toss aside. Yeah, you know, she she's actually proved a great deal of loyalty, a great deal of steadfastness. But but in the end, he's pretty much willing to say, "No, nah, I'm just going ahead with what I want." Um, and, and of course, he changes, which is another. Um, aspect you know once the symbiont relation joining happens but yeah, he becomes too a lot good of her doesn't he he sort of steps above her and and oh, look that theme of love <laughs> and loyalty is really really strong like then and, and uh, it really calls to me echoes you know those writings from say corinthians where it's talking about if i have faith to move mountains um, but i don't have love then i'm nothing if i if i can speak all of the languages and virad's got this idea that if he just had you know this this greatness that would come to him from carrying the Dax symbiont that that his he would be complete, um, but without love, it's just a clanging gong. It's an it's an empty, an empty yeah. action. And that that's kind of recognised in the characters around him. The 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 companion who suddenly sees that the person that she loved is no longer there. Yeah, he's become a different person who is quite disjointed from her. Quite dismissive of her yep. um on the other hand um because drax the drax symbiont had been such a good friend of ben cisco and um through two lives um and and the varad drax wants to see that continuing yep. um and they get all chummy and, don't they? they they share memories and reminisce but it's just not quite gelling because he's not the same yeah, yeah, and, and I mean Ben Cisco is also, in a sense, playing a bit of a game because he's got an agenda of wanting to restore the symbiont to um, Jadzia. I mean that's obviously his concern for her welfare. Uh, remember my wedding? I remember your bachelor party, or some of it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and the time we discovered the wormhole. One of Jadzia's proudest moments. And now that woman is bleeding to death in the infirmary. I'd rather not discuss that, Benjamin. Varad has committed these actions, and yet as Varad Drax sort of thinks, this will all be fine. My friend Cisco will still, you know, be my friend and everything. And um, that can't be. You know, that, that your actions have consequences. And uh, that that, I think, is played out very much in the the episode in a couple of different ways in particularly in those relate two relationships that Varad has the absolutely 
Yeah. There's a couple of little um, interesting um, bits in there I noticed as well. Um, so we've got uh, an interesting crew Varad has established around him. He's got two Klingon mercenaries. Um, and uh, one of those Klingon mercenaries is played by Tim Russ, uh, who later on um, in Voyager actually plays the main character of Tuvok. So right. interesting to see, you know, that uh, Tim was a part of um, the the Star Trek story, and in fact, way before this, because Tim Russ actually appeared in the um, uh, episode uh, movie Generations, I think it was. He was in one of the movies. Um, All so, right. So he's been allowed yeah. around a long time, and in Voyager, they actually tried to incorporate his story from the movie into the Voyager series. So Tim's there, um, and um, and then we've just mentioned um, the 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 other members of the crew, uh, Marielle, who was the Kefkin. Um, we haven't come across any Kefkins before. Um, but um, the, one of the things that I did notice um, around that was um, in terms of selflessness and sacrifice, since we've been talking about that too, is that uh, Quark, who's the Ferengi, um, we've come to know yep. Quark really well during season one, um, as a person who looks after himself, um, he he set up this meeting. He's kind of been duped a little bit because they make, make him think that they're coming there to meet him. That's why he helps them onto the station. But then on the bridge, Quark um, uh, um, attacks one of the Klingons, uh, and when yeah. I when I saw that, I thought, oh, that's that's a bit odd. That's that's um, a bit brave of Quark to be uh, attacking a Klingon. Stay back. Maybe we should talk about this. <laughs> Um, he he hasn't shown that kind of bravery elsewhere, but um, so that that might be an inconsistency. Although that does get him down to the sick bay, where he's actually able then to help uh, Julian um, to um, disable the other Klingons, which is helpful. So yeah, there there is a yeah, like it is an interesting thing when you talk about Quark, and it was interesting. I listened um, to episode one of this season of Deep Faith Nine. Um, with um and you had a panel on and you know that you had a panel and yet here I am by myself but we'll leave that alone. <laughs> I will get you into a panel will, later on. Yeah, yeah. I will note that Zach said that it was zero degrees wherever he was when I was listening to um the podcast this morning. It was minus two here in Canberra. So I'm just one upping you there, Zach. Yeah, Canberra beats Hobart. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So um the um but in that podcast, you talked about how you see Quark starting to evolve as a character, yep. uh, which is when you get a, a series, that's one of the, um, I think for me, a joy sometimes is watching how some characters, and it's usually the, the character who's a little bit on the sinister side or the slimy side, gradually over time evolves to be somebody who's quite significant and, and you kind of almost warm to that person as a character um more so than some of the other originally very heroic characters yeah, because you yeah. see how they evolve and and in, maybe in yourself you see how you would like to think you could evolve as a person but he, you he in this is showing a similar thing because yeah he acts very um 
mercenary way by disabling the security features in the airlock so that the weapons can be brought onto the base because he sees a financial advantage for him. But later on, he's still there's still a similar characteristic in that his attacking of the is never anticipated that he's going to overpower the Vulcan. He's trying to set up a situation where he will separate the Vulcans. Um, and in fact, place one in a in a possibility where Julian, as you say, can then sedate him, and um, that gives them that advantage. So he, he's still being that same um, kind of doing wheels and deals sort of person, um, rather than the, the direct action hero. He's playing to his strengths. Yeah. Um, in that, so that there is a consistency of the character that he is, but also a, another step of an evolution of that character that, um, though on the other hand, maybe he recognises that his own self-preservation is going to depend on the, um, decide, you know, the getting over, overpowering these Vulcans and getting yeah. on top of the situation, because otherwise uh, they I'll, might just choose not to leave witnesses. I will just mention so that we don't get uh, emails to their, their Klingons. Um, so, Can I, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, I know okay. that. Yeah, that's all good. No, I thought so. Yeah. Um, and look, I, I think maybe Quark is also um, starting to care about the other other um, people in the community there on Deep Deep Space Nine. So that's actually a, yeah. that part of that evolution. And that's one of the things I, I personally I really love about... Um, Deep Space Nine as a series is that there is that meta story that from the very beginning to the very end there is a story of of evolution and so we've talked a lot about the evolution of the character of Kira um, and we're seeing it in Quark and we we see it throughout through all of them really um, Cisco um, and um, and Odo and and they they all go through this growth during this time and that that adds a real sense of realism uh, to yeah. the story. Yeah, no, that, that's true. And my apologies to all the Vulcan lovers out there and all the Klingon lovers that I got the names of the races mixed up. I knew who I was talking about. I just got lost on a transit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's easy to do, especially yeah. considering Tim Russ plays a Vulcan in Voyager and a Klingon in this episode. So, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's not hard to do. Um, yeah. All right, so we've covered um, love and loyalty. We've looked at sacrifice. Um, um um, I did want to give a shout out for the lack of music in science fiction um, yep. or musical instruments. As a, as a musician, amongst other things, I often notice that you don't necessarily, except maybe in a bit of background, see many musicians. Spock is actually a musician, but we only ever see it very rarely in um, the original Star Trek series, mm -hmm. uh, play some weird Vulcan instrument. Harry um, Kim but... plays the clarinet, I believe. Um, oh, right. And, um, and uh, Will Riker, would probably the only other musician I'm aware of, he plays the trombone um, oh, right, in yeah. some episodes. But, yeah, you're right. The music, music's not... Uh, although you also have um, Picard, uh, and you mentioned the series Picard earlier, he, he learns to play a kind of tin whistle during one episode, and they're actually using that... Um, Tin whistle tune he learns in that episode as the theme song for the uh, series Picard. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, look, I just something I thought of. Uh, I'm not quite sure why I made that connection, but I just remembered there's an episode in the original Star Trek where um they have this group of almost like the Vulcan version of hippies. Yep. 
um, on board the Enterprise, and 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 Spock knows a couple of them or something, and there's a whole lot of more exploration into the, the character and the past of, of Spock. Yep. And, and it does end with um, they're all sitting in the mess playing, and he walks in with this weird Vulcan instrument and sits in and jams with them, which... It's like a I harp, was, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. A bit triangular in shape, I think. It's yep. a while since I've seen it. But getting back to um, the episode at hand, I, I was interested in... Um, Disco's willingness to be the manipulative, you know, we, so we talked about Quark yeah, yep. using subterfuge to achieve um, a good purpose. You know, he pretended to be injured in the fight, had to be taken down to the sick bay. Yep. And these Klingons are, I think, much gentler Klingons than some others I've come across in different iterations. So there, there are a few iterations of Klingons I've seen in Star Trek um, shows that would have just sort of pulled out their blasters and wasted him <laughs> most of the Klingons that we see are in the military so these guys are not so they're obviously you know not disciplined enough to be in the Klingon military um that's yeah. saying something isn't it yeah so and Varad yeah it still has a sense that he doesn't want to cause too much collateral damage he, yep. he's kind of willing to accept that what he's doing is going to probably end in Jadzia's death but he wants to avoid anything else um in that sense but Cisco um, also plays a bit of a manipulation and deceit game yep. through the the episode, um, and and some of that is with with Varad and Varad Drax. You know, there is that chummy chummy moment, and then there is the kind of deceit towards the end of um, we're going to let you go, and but no, we're not going to let you go. But the one that I really wondered about was between him and and what was the name of the companion again, please, uh, Mariel. Mariel. Yeah, yep. played yeah, so by he... Megan Gallagher. Uh, Mariel oh, right. was played by her, yeah. And she she's a yeah. Kefkin, so, yeah. Yeah. So he he kind of really plays on her affection for um, Varad um, and, and so says, look, he, this, is, this is actually changing who he is as a person and this is not good for him to do this. This, this will be, yeah, to his detriment. And the best thing that you can do for Varad is to help us overpower him so that we can put the um, symbiont back in Jadzia. So he he is, I, I think, in, the, in this point, and maybe it is that question of what weapon, if you like, is to hand, and to, in this case the weapon is um, deceit and, and using this, this woman for his purposes. Um, yep. But it is that. It is, yeah, he, his agenda is that he wants to seek the welfare of Dudsia. Yep. And he really and, drives a wedge between um Mariel and Varad uh to try yeah. and um to try and um bring that agenda to fruition. Yeah. But but the other thing is, I mean, in a sense, yeah, you know, Mariel and, and Varad have a codependent relationship at the beginning. Yep. Um and it, it's not a healthy relationship really to in the little bit that you see of it. And he's quite happy to throw Murray or back into that codependency and yep. into that situation. He's he's actually quite uninterested in seeing any positive advantage for her. Yep. He he pretends to be, but he's not. Um and, and okay, so she stormed his space station with a bunch of armed mercenaries. She's placed people at risk. One of his people has been 
shot. So, yeah, fair enough. He, he's he's got his duties as a commander. He's got his loyalties to his friend. He's got his anger at these people for what they've done. So we we need to put all that into context. Yeah, yeah. And he's, um, but there there are, I suppose, you know, the, the famous quote: "The end justifies the means." Um, here, the the means were both deceit and, um, if you like, taking an addict and encouraging their addiction. Yes. Um, and and he really sows those seeds of doubt, doesn't he? He really yeah. um, Every every question he asks is pointed towards causing her to doubt whether Varad really cares about her or or has her best interests at heart. Yeah. Yeah, and, no, that's good. Yeah, no, God, I just remember when I was. Um, at Bible college, so before theological college, but I, I did a couple of years in a Bible college and, and we did ethics stuff and yeah, you know, and you do all those and even at school where you did you do all those ethical situations and where the I suppose almost the hard lines of what you might believe as as a person of faith compares to some of the, the broader questions. I mean the easy one was, you know, in the Ten Commandments it says do not lie. Yep. Yeah, and it, and you can be very hard line about that, but what happens if you're, the woman next door has come fleeing to your house for refuge from her abusive husband? Yep. And then he turns up with a baseball bat in hand going, where is she? Is she in this house? Yep. She's not here. Um, <laughs> she's not here. Yeah. Do, do you be truthful? You know, I will not lie. And because I, I should say this was a bit of a conservative Bible college. And so people were pretty strong on if the Bible says it, you shouldn't do yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, but that's the kind of question that that lies in here. You know, like he, he, in my sense, he does a couple of pretty unethical things. And yeah, you know, I've named the kind of situation, yeah, which might say, okay, we we can see what he's experienced and and what he's working towards. Um, so it's it's not a black and white situation by no, a long and way, and it's a lot easier to be black and white with ethics when you're in Starfleet. So when you're a Captain Kirk or you're Captain Picard or you're even Captain Janeway, it's a lot easier because you've got a set of rules and you've got a a, a system around you. But but um, Cisco is you know out in the community. He he doesn't have those rules. Nobody there are, there are people who he needs to be able to. Um, order who are under no obligation to follow his orders, um, and so yeah. he's got to be a lot more cunning, uh, a lot more um, uh, willing to, to, I guess, blur those lines in order to be successful. Yeah, and he is in a situation of, as I said, you know, threat to people that he is responsible for. Yep. Um, and and seeking to find ways whereby he may achieve their well-being. In, in a pretty dangerous, you know, where, where there isn't a black and white solution to it. Yep. And um, again, I, I suppose it's, it's like when we had the early discussion of the, there's a bit of the Varad and the Jadzia within us. Yep. Um, this again speaks to us about the, the greyness of the situations we face and the decisions we may sometimes um, choose to make um, in order to achieve the well-being of those who we are responsible for, for others around us, and um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's a difficult question, but I think it's a worthy one that this episode kind of presents to us. Absolutely, um, which is yeah, you see it in Quark, and you can't with, with his deceit about I've hurt my ear, and and an injury to my ear could be life-threatening. Yep, 
complete fiction. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of accept that. And then he gestures to the it, doctor. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You see it in the commander of the station. And, um, and I suppose um, as somebody who hasn't watched a lot of Deep Space Nine, I do sort of project that more Starfleet kind of um, nobility or whatever sensibility mm-hmm. even onto the, the character of Ben Sisko. Um, yep. And you say, oh, well, that's a bit dodgy, but you also you know, understand it and recognise that sometimes we do dodgy things and where where are the lines? You know, lines blur. Yep. Um, how, 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 again, how much do we allow them to blur? blur and that's maybe that's an, an underlying text of this. You know, Virat allowed his lines to blur <clears throat> a long way. Yep. He liked to say he had noble causes, noble reasons. Um, but his actions showed otherwise. Yeah, and look, we, we, we'll get to talk about those um, things uh, in future episodes. Those lines get blurrier and greyer as the series goes on. Likewise, there are so many more things we could talk about in terms of the trill, um, what it's like to live in different lives and unpacking um, how one life can be separate from another um, and um, and and uh, the, the relationship between the Dax, Symbiont and the host. But um, we're out of time. Um, and so, uh, Paul, it's been great to have you on today. Um, would you love to come back and talk about some of those um, issues in a future podcast? Yeah, look, that, I'd be open to that. that that'd, that'd be good, thanks. That's awesome. All right, well, um, that's all we've got time for today. Um, this has been the second episode of Season 2, Invasive Procedures. Uh, and um, it's been great to have Paul um, and um, I look forward to seeing you next week. Please like and subscribe. Um, leave a comment for us and give us a star rating on the podcast app that you use to listen to. Uh, that all helps us to get the word out so that uh, further, uh, more and more people can uh, hear and benefit from the podcast. All right, well, um, that's all for today. I'll catch you later on. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thank you.